0: Good morning everybody. It is great to be with you all today. Last week I was out sick, as some of you know, and um, I had strep throat, which is something I used to get a lot when I was a kid. Uh, and hadn't had for like 25 years. And I tell you what, man, when you get strep throat as an adult, it is no joke. Um, Either that or as somebody said to me before the service, maybe I'm just a much better, bigger wimp than I was when I was a kid, which is probably also true. But it is great to be back with you today, to worship with you, to see your faces, to hear you sing uh, for a lot of different reasons, Uh, mainly because it is just so encouraging to continue to hear all the ways that God is working in our midst Uh, to hear the stories that are coming from your families or from your small groups, that some of you are going through really hard times right now and learning a new type of reliance on the Lord. And others of you are going through accelerated periods of growth and are enthusiastic for the things of God in maybe a way that you haven't experienced before in a long time. And some of us are in the middle, just in that slow and steady growth process that God does when we're together, uh, as his people and his word is open and, and these things happen quietly in our own homes, and our own families, and individually. And they also happen happen corporately as a large group of people. And so to see and to hear and to experience these things when God becomes the main character of the story of our lives is such a great privilege and an encouraging joy. And that's um, one of the wonderful aspects of being part of a local family of believers like this one. And so we trust that God will continue to do that work in us. We trust that he'll do it in us even today as we open his word. And so let's pray and with faith ask that he will indeed do those things. So please pray with me. Father, thank you so much that you are a God who is faithful. That in your awesome and mighty power, that you continue to work in our hearts and our minds, that you continue to change us and grow us and to transform us, that you give us a deep and abiding joy that lasts through the ups and downs of this life because of the Lord Jesus. Continue to shape us now, we pray, as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I want to ask you and invite you to stare at something with me. Sometimes it takes a long stare to see the true beauty of something. At first glance, you might find something appealing or maybe even attractive, but the longer you stare, the more details emerge, the more beautiful the thing becomes. If you've ever been in one of the great art galleries of the world, you know this to be true. There are some people that will go through a fantastic art gallery and it's almost like a race to get to the finish. They'll sort of walk quickly, glancing at works of art that are hundreds of years old and are worth millions and millions of dollars. And they sort of just passingly glance and quickly move on to the next one uh, with a desire to get to the finish line. But then there are some people who just sit there staring, <laughs> seemingly for ages, with a new level of appreciation for what they're looking at. The other day, my daughter was sitting on my lap on our couch, and as she was gazing off toward her cartoon, I was gazing at her. I mean, she's beautiful to me. She's my daughter, after all. But The more I looked at her, (laughs) the more beautiful she became. Nature proves this to be true again and again and again, doesn't it? Last month I had the opportunity to be in Glacier Park, Montana, where my wife is originally from, to do some hiking. And... As you're walking through this majestic landscape of the mountains and you're doing a hike that's fairly challenging and you're sucking wind and you're sort of at that point where uh, you're regretting not maintaining your physical fitness to your original desires and and at the same time just saying to yourself there's one foot in front of the other and sooner or later I'm going to make it to the top and every now and again you just have to stop and look, you just have to stop. And take it all in. You have to stare because the landscape is truly that majestic. The longer you observe something, focus on something, stare at something, you see its true beauty. And as we consider our series. In the book of Galatians, that we're calling true gospel and true freedom, it seems to me that the Apostle Paul is forcing us to stare at something. He's forcing us to stare at this glorious doctrine of justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. He's forcing us to stare at it. That is to say, this doctrine is to say, just very simply, that God saves people by faith. And that's it. By faith alone in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. There's nothing added. There's nothing taken away. Only by faith. And I say that he's forcing us to stare at it because it seems like in every passage, in every chapter, he's just talking about faith again and again and again. And by faith this and by faith that. And when you have faith this, and my experience of faith is this, and now you have faith because of these reasons. And the longer we stare at this truth that might feel so elementary to us, the more its true beauty rises to the surface. And so stare with me today as we look at Galatians chapter 3. This is what it says. Starting in verse 1. Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Saying, in all the nations, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham. For us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. There are a lot of things about the nature of faith that are beautiful as we stare at it longer. The first one is that you are given the Holy Spirit by faith. Paul begins this section of Galatians with this string of questions that are rooted in one key question. The key question is this, found in verse 2, how does a Christian receive the Holy Spirit? Is it by doing the works of the law Or is it by hearing with faith? And that is an important question to ask because how that question is answered will direct how you look at living out your Christian life. And so he asks this string of four rhetorical questions to really drive into this a little bit further. Look at it with me. Verse 2, this is the question of initiation. The question I just asked a moment ago, did you receive the Spirit by works or by hearing with faith? Verse 3 is the question of completion. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? That is to say, you came to faith in Jesus, you began your Christian life in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by doing certain things? The third rhetorical question is found in verse 4. It's the question of their experience and their persecution. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? I mean, there was a cost for these people to follow Jesus. He was not popular in those days. And when they put their faith in him, they were persecuted for it. And now he is equating their embracing of good works as a distancing from this lord that they were persecuted for and the fourth question is not in verse five is the question of the holy spirit and miracles did he god who supplies the spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or did he do so by hearing with faith and there is an obvious answer to all of these rhetorical questions the obvious answer is that God did all of these things that you received the Holy Spirit in your life by faith and by faith alone. And the implications of that are really quite significant because the whole, what is the Holy Spirit's role in your life? Well, it's to point you to Jesus and to grow you, to sanctify you into the likeness of that Lord Jesus. And to see that, you see that in verse verse 3. Chapter 3, verse 3. We read it just a moment ago. Dive in a little bit deeper with me. He says, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Paul is saying that we are not saved by faith and then left to grow by doing good works. God saves us by faith, but he also sanctifies us or makes us holy or grows us by that same faith. So in this sense, you never outgrow the gospel. I've heard people say from time to time, you know, well, the elementary truth of the gospel, believe in Jesus to be saved by the forgiveness of your sins. Well, that's the starting point for your new life. And then you figure out what following God is really like. You never outgrow the gospel. You never outgrow the starting point because it's never left behind. Faith is not only the way that you're forgiven, but it is also the way that you are grown. The way into the Christian life is the way forward in the Christian life. The beginning of the Christian life is the same way that the Christian life is continued. And that is a struggle for us, in many ways, a struggle for us, because the desire to be perfected or to work toward this goal of being better and perfect is a natural desire for us. It's the way that so many of us function in all of the areas of our life. In physical fitness, I work out because I want to have a better physical body. I work toward that goal. In my career, I work harder. I gain knowledge and insight so that I can have a better career. In relationships, in marriage, I work at my marriage. I work in my friendships. And therefore, my friendships become healthier. My marriage becomes healthier. So Paul is emphasizing that belief in the gospel is not sort of in addition to this former way of thinking, this work harder, get better dynamic. He's saying that belief in the gospel is actually abandoning that approach as it relates to God and adopting a completely different approach, an approach that trusts God to do the saving work and the perfecting work in us. And so we see that the Holy Spirit comes to you by faith, and the works of those Holy Spirit are manifested in your life by hearing with faith, and you are being perfected or sanctified or made holy by faith. And this begs the question, well, how does this faith contribute to the perfecting work of the Spirit? Are they connected or are they disconnected? And they are connected indeed. They're connected because this is where we see that this faith is expressed so often in applying the gospel to our daily life. And through that faith, I experience growth. This might seem or feel counterintuitive to some of us because we're so often told that the way you grow in the Christian life is by doing certain things. You come to church, you read your Bible, you pray, you exercise other spiritual disciplines. That's how you grow. And we're not saying that those things aren't significant or vehicles of growth, but they are not the engine that drive growth. Paul is saying that faith is what produces growth in you. You read your Bible with faith because you believe God. You come to church because you have a level of faith that you'll hear from the Lord and express worship to him. You pray with faith and therefore experience that level of intimacy with God. And this relates to applying the gospel to your life every single day. And this is what I mean by that. Here's an example. When I am tempted to gossip about somebody else because it's going to build me up in the eyes of the person I'm talking to, Christian growth for me is not simply keeping my mouth shut. It's not simply being just more disciplined. Christian growth is recognizing how the gospel, how God's grace and forgiveness is needed for my sinful insecurity (laughs) and for how that insecurity leads me to hurt other people. It means recognizing that now somehow in here, the thing that motivates that gossip in me is in approval of others, and this approval for others has become so strong in my life that it causes me to say bad things about other people. It has become in some ways an idol for me. Maybe it even for a short time has supplanted the Lord on the throne of my life. And so to apply the gospel to myself is to look at that area where there is that other Lord in my life to seek forgiveness, to have faith in Jesus' kingship and his grace, and to trust him again for my need. Friends, we need to apply the gospel to our lives every single day (laughs) through faith in Jesus' work on the cross and the good gift of the Spirit that transforms us. When you're tempted to say that faith is what saves you, but good works, doing certain things, is what grows you, this would be like walking up to that beautiful, large Vincent van Gogh painting and pulling out your paintbrush and just tracing over his signature on the bottom with a fresh coat of bright blue. It wrecks the value of the painting. But when you rely on the work of the cross and the coming of the spirit by faith alone, the value and the beauty is maintained. And this is beautiful for a lot of different reasons. Here's just a couple. This notion of growing by the same faith that saves you is beautiful because it eliminates the notion of a spiritless Christian. Some of... Us might have grown up in a background that says, You come to faith and then you receive the Holy Spirit at a different time. Maybe when you speak in tongues or when you have a certain experience or when you do a variety of things. But if the Spirit comes by faith, the same faith that saves you, there can be no such thing as a spiritless Christian. And this should be of great comfort and great hope, and great confidence to you, that the spirit applied to your life by that very faith is what drives you and does his perfecting work in you. This is beautiful because it means that the Christian life finishes the same way it starts. It starts in faith, and you get into this relationship with God and you think to yourself, I have no idea where this is going to go and you don't. (laughs) God is going to do things in your life that you don't anticipate. He's going to allow you to experience things in your life that you don't think you can handle. You're going to go through seasons of great excitement and seasons of great pain and he is going to refine you and teach you and you have no idea what it's going to look like two years from now probably not even two weeks from now but God is going to give you a sustaining and lasting joy as you abide in Christ through all of that. And the Christian life is in some ways a beautiful and great adventure and unknown. But it's not completely unknown because you know for certain that the way that this life will finish is the way that it started. With faith. This is beautiful because it means that you can have confidence that you will indeed grow and that we will indeed be perfected. This is what the promised Holy Spirit does in you. And if that Holy Spirit is applied to you in faith and you continue to go through your life expressing your trust in Jesus and the work of God through his spirit, you will grow. <laughs> Period. There's no such thing as a Christian who has faith and ongoing abiding faith in Jesus and the work of God in his or her life that doesn't grow. And that is a great comfort and a great promise that maybe you feel like you're stalled out right now. And so the call for you is to put your faith in Christ afresh and his spirit anew. And act according to that faith and growth. There's a lot more reasons we could list why that is beautiful, but there's something else that's beautiful in this justification by faith in this passage. And that is we see in verses six through nine that faith is the foundation of God's family. Here we see that Paul appeals to Abraham. The father of the Jews and the father of many nations. You probably, some of you grew up singing the song, Father Abraham has many sons, many sons has Father Abraham. Nobody? Of course you did. The Jews of this time were thinking that you are part of God's family through your Jewish lineage. Through your law abiding. The law of Moses. Well, Paul goes past Moses. He doesn't appeal to Moses, one of the other great prophets, the prophet of the law. He goes back even further. He goes all the way back to Father Abraham. And to talk about Father Abraham is to begin to talk about core identity of people as it relates to God. Now remember, this whole contention of the Judaizers in the book of Galatians was that you needed to do the works of the law to become Jewish so that you could become a Christian. You need to do certain works and have faith if you wanted to be in God's family. But Paul says, if you are like Father Abraham, you're in the family of God. And Abraham was God's man because of faith. So look at verses 6 and 7. He finishes his string of questions and he says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Paul is referring to Genesis chapter 15 verse 6, Abraham believed God, it says. Because of his belief, it was credited to him or counted to him as righteousness. God promised some things. God put some stipulations on some things. Abraham believed God. He took him at his word. And that was credited to him in a certain way, as a righteous person. It wasn't in relationship to what Abraham did that he was... Counted as righteous. It wasn't in relationship to religious ritual or ceremony that was counted him as righteous. It wasn't even in relationship to having good intentions or being a good person. And it wasn't in relationship to following the law because the law hadn't even been given yet. Abraham believed. And what did he believe? Well, it says he believed God. He took God at his word. And this belief meant that God looked at him differently. Because of belief, God considered him to be a righteous person. Now this is in direct contradiction to so many of our notions of traditional religion today. Other religions claim that you are pleasing to God based on how you live. If you live a righteous life, you're pleasing to God. If you live an unrighteous one, you are alienated from God. Many of us grew up with that understanding. I mean, good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell, period. Make sure you're on the right side of the ledger. But what's so interesting about this is that to enter into God's family, Abraham was still living as an unrighteous person. He was one that should have been alienated from God. He was one that was on the wrong side of the ledger. But God actually gave him righteous standing. He credits it to him. It's, like a, it's a legal term. He's a violator who's been pardoned. He has a negative checking account that all of a sudden has a million dollars in it. God looks at him that way because of his faith. A good example of what it means to be declared righteous comes from the life of the astronomer William Herschel. William Herschel lived in the late 1700s and early 1800s, and as a young boy in Hanover, Germany, he loved listening to military music. So much so that as he grew, he uh, eventually joined the military band. But when the nation went to war, he found himself marching into battle, totally unprepared for the the horrors of war, And during a period of intense fighting, Herschel deserted his unit. And he fled from the battlefield. Now, the penalty for desertion was death. And so he couldn't stay in Germany any longer. And so he fled to England. And upon arriving to England, he pursued further studies in music and in science. And eventually... He became a very famous man, so famous actually in all of Europe, that many knew his name for his musical abilities as well as his scientific discoveries. William Herschel had left his past life behind. It was in the rearview mirror. And for many years he gave little thought to the death sentence that awaited him back in his homeland. But then another German came to Britain. George, the head of the House of Hanover, was crowned the King of England. And King George knew the secret of William Herschel. And so he summons him to appear before the royal court. And with great trepidation, the scientist arrived at the palace and he was told to wait in the chamber outside of the throne room until finally, one of the king's servants brought Herschel a document. Anxiously, he opened it, and he read the following words, I, George, pardon you for your past offenses against our native land. Herschel had received the royal pardon. The fact of his desertion was not overlooked It was not forgotten about, simply. Yet he was acquitted. And therefore, he was justified in the eyes of the law as a righteous person. And in a similar way, Abraham receives a royal pardon from the king of all kings. He's the offender. He's declared righteous. Unrighteous though he was. His faith was counted as righteousness before God. And so verse 7 tells us, you want to be in the family of God? You want to have your, your law breaking removed from you? Do you want to receive the pardon and be in righteous standing before the king? Then be like Abraham. Be one of his sons. Be part of God's family Receive a righteous credit from God by faith. Consider with me the third way that this idea of faith alone is beautiful. We might summarize it by saying in verses 10 to 14 that it's by faith, not works, by faith, that Christ takes your curse and gives you his blessing. Let me read it for you again, starting at verse 10. Follow with me. It says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things, written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Let's make a couple observations. Observation number one is very clearly that we are cursed under the law. Paul says as much in verse 10. He's citing Deuteronomy chapter 27, 26. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm or affirm the words of the law and do them. Think about what that means. It means that if you are living your life by the dynamic that says, I need to do good things to be on the right side of the ledger so that I have righteousness before God. I need to do the works of the law to be saved and to grow. It means that you better not make even one mistake. Because if you make a mistake, you don't fulfill the law entirely, you're under a curse. (laughs) Now, of course, that means that we're all under that curse. Because every single one of us have made many mistakes. Because we're all sinful. We're all depraved from the very beginning. I mean, you know this to be true in your own experience. This is why 1 Kings chapter 8 says there is no one who has not sinned. <laughs> this is why Romans 3:23 all have sinned, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all under the curse. And every year around the time of Halloween there's a lot of joking about spells and curses. A lot of TV shows about curses. If you're a Harry Potter fan, there's lots of curses going on in Harry Potter. And You know, I think about that. I think in some ways it dulls our sensitivity to the fact that there is such a thing as a real curse. It's all fun and games in the movies. (laughs) But sadly, not many pause to consider the reality of a curse. But when you really begin to think about it, to be cursed by God would be a terrible thing. <laughs> in fact, to be cursed by God would be the worst possible thing. And in our world of spiritual trivialities, to think about, to stop for a minute and just think about life and death and eternity And righteousness and sin and standing before God and being cursed by God. That is serious business. There can be no more serious thing than that. In fact, it's so serious that cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. You know, in the Old Testament, when somebody was executed, they were typically executed by stoning. But when someone was hung on a tree or crucified, it was a sign that they had been completely rejected by God. That person was under a curse. Under Jewish law, it says, it says it right here, cursed be anyone who hangs on a tree, Hanging on a tree wasn't the curse. The hanging on a tree was the sign that the person was cursed. Rejected, completely alienated from God. But verse 13 tells us that Jesus became the curse for us. that all of us were cursed, he became the curse for us. This is certainly one of the reasons why the Jews who came after him had such a hard time recognizing him as the Messiah. I mean, how could he be the Son of God? How could he be the Savior? He's cursed! Look at him, he's hanging on a tree! Clearly he's been rejected by God, not the favored of heaven. It's almost certainly the reason why Jesus cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you rejected me? He was cursed. (laughs) Jesus was cursed for us that we might be blessed through him. And this is the gospel. The good news for your soul. And it comes to you by faith. Have you trusted Jesus? Have you put your faith in him? Oh, this doctrine of justification by faith alone is a beautiful thing. And the more you look at it, the more you see its benefits, the more you see its nuances, the more the beauty rises to the surface for us. You see that somebody else became a curse for you so that you would have blessings in him. And you see in Galatians 3 that here you're starting to receive all of the benefits of the triune God. It says in verses 1 through 5 that the Spirit comes to you by faith, and that Spirit perfects you. That you are a member of God's family, verses 6 through 9. Like Abraham, by faith, even you, even you. It says that you have taken, that Jesus has taken the curse and given you his blessing by faith. And so why in the world would you continue to try to work for your salvation as if you can earn it? by being a good person? Or why would you continue to think that if you work hard enough, then you'll grow in the Lord by the power of yourself, not by his spirit? Or why would you think that your identity as a person in this life and as it relates to God is found in what you do? God gives it to you by faith. Have you ever been standing on a dock with one foot on a boat and the other on the dock when the boat starts to drift away? I take it from your chuckles that I'm not alone in that experience. Imagine with me for a moment that you are standing with one foot on the magnificent yacht and the other on the very tall dock on which it was tied. It is like the person who has one foot on the glorious yacht with Christ through faith, and the other foot on the tall dock of good works. And the yacht starts to slowly drift. What happens next? Well, it becomes very uncomfortable very quickly. Your legs start to spread. You begin to lose your balance. And for just a moment, you think that the strength of your legs is going to be able to hold this boat and this dock together. But you can't do it. Just like you can't hold faith alone in Christ and good works together for your righteousness and for your growth in God. And one of three things is going to happen at that moment. If you've been there, you know what it is. Either this person is going to jump back on the dock of good works and reside there while the glorious yacht drifts away. Or As the two begin to separate, all the more they are just going to painfully tumble down into the abyss below. (laughs) Or, they are going to jump onto the yacht of justification by faith alone. I hope you jump on that boat. (laughs) Because there you will find the riches of Christ. You will find the unending grace that God has to give you. There you will find a sure and certain journey toward a heavenly destination. And there you will find true life and true freedom. Faith is what saves us and faith is what Grows us. Let's pray together. Lord God in heaven, we ask now that you would strengthen and bolster our faith. That it would not be found as shallow, that it would not be nearly a faith of initiation, but that it would be deep and abiding and strong and trusting you for growth in this life, that your spirit would do his work in us and through us and that we would trust and that all of our actions would come out of this faith, that the good things that we do, that the disciplines we engage in and the spiritual activities of our life would be proceeding from faith in you because your promises are sure, because the work on the cross is complete, and because your spirit is active. We pray for the sake of our good and for your glory. Amen.